Well, grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be with you this day. Amen. So as a congregation, we've been going through a book for the last 40 days called Red Letter Challenge, which has been 40 days of daily reading and a challenge, something to apply, something to do, some kind of action to carry that reading forward. Red letter, meaning words of Jesus, although the book included a lot of words from the Old Testament and epistles that support and connect with the words that Jesus spoke. We started this process back on February 27th, and if you want to go all the way back, you can check out the message from that day. It's on the website, so you can navigate through and get there. But part of our motivation for being more like Jesus is because Christians haven't always given the world a good impression of what Christianity is really all about. We get judged, and we don't represent Jesus all that well from time to time. So our goal through this process is to become more like Jesus, to hear those words of Jesus and put them into practice, apply them to our lives. So we went into this with these questions, what does Jesus say? What did he say to his disciples? What did he say to the crowds? What does he say then to us through words that were captured, that were written, that were included in the gospel narratives? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all encapsulate the the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And what does that mean for us in 2022? How does it apply? Well, Jesus invites us to follow him. We see that again and again in the words of Jesus. There's an invitation to follow to his disciples primarily, you know, as Jesus went along the sea, there were fishermen there who dropped their nets and followed Jesus in response to that invitation. And from time to time, there were others who were invited to follow Jesus, and that invitation comes to us to follow and be his disciples. But where was he going? Jesus was on a mission, right? He was going up to Jerusalem, and if you read in the gospel narratives, particularly in Mark, there's this almost cadence of words along the way or on the way. Jesus was on the way. He was going somewhere. Today, as we remember Palm Sunday, we decorate with palms. We remember in the gospel reading for today, the the way the disciples and the others who were there and the crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, cutting palm branches off the trees and putting them down in front of Jesus and laying down their cloaks so he could ride on this colt into the city, riding on the donkey, coming into town. Here comes Jesus. Now, for those in the crowd... Shouting, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. They were ready for somebody else. (laughs) They were ready for the conquering king. They were ready for someone on a mission that would include overthrow of the occupying forces. That, That would include freeing them from this captivity they were under yet again. They were ready, but not ready for the mission Jesus was on. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he had a purpose. That purpose was to take upon the sin of the world. Verse 28 of, Matthew, or sorry, of Luke 19 says that he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He 
he was coming for the purpose of laying down his life for the sin of the world. And through that sacrifice, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I've quoted this a number of times because I love it, also because it's my confirmation verse. So I've had it memorized since I was a kid. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The sacrifice of Jesus, the one who entered Jerusalem to go to the cross where he paid the price for you and for me for our sin, saves us from condemnation, saves us from eternal guilt, saves us from the punishment for our sinfulness. On Friday, we will remember the words of Jesus, it is finished. And what was finished was the penalty, the price, the cost for our sin. It was finished. It was done. He laid down his life for you and for me. And so we are saved by grace. And the part of this verse says, not by our efforts, not by our own doing. So the things that we do then are not in order to qualify in order to save ourselves, in order to polish ourselves off and say, God, look at me. I've done these things. That's religion, right? And we do things, but not to make ourselves acceptable to God. We receive faith by the Spirit, and the Spirit works through means of grace, through word and sacrament, bringing us into this relationship that we have with God. That same spirit dwells within us and is actively working, working to change us from the inside out so that we believe and hope and trust and so that we bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that looks like Jesus. See, being a disciple of Jesus transforms us. I don't know if you've heard this expression before, but within two to five years, you become like the people you associate with. Have you heard that before? And I can understand that. I can believe that. If you live with somebody, you start to understand each other's habits. You finish each other's sandwiches. That's a line from a Disney movie. Which one? Frozen? It's a line from Frozen. You finish each other's sentences, right? That's what I was going to say. Another line, same movie. Sorry, this is just in my head. It's the way it works. When we've got kids, we're watching these movies. So you, you develop the habits, the same kind of lifestyles. You use the same kind of language. Move to the south, you'll start to sound southern. We live there so I can do it. It's still in there somewhere. You know, you move here, you start to drive like a Californian. I roll stop signs. Sorry, I don't know if that's going to be evidence used against me. I'm not sure how that works. But being a disciple of Jesus means spending time with Jesus, developing the habits and the attitudes of Jesus, learning the same language, speaking the words of Jesus because they saturate us. And discipleship really starts with relationship. We spend time with Jesus in word, in sacrament, in prayer, in meditation, in worship, and all the the ways that we are, well, in the book, it was the first of the targets, being, right? 
To be a disciple means just to be in the presence of Jesus and to receive and to be still and know, like Psalm 46 says, to just take it in. Let's be. And we have to start there. That's our foundation. That's where it begins because we can't put it into practice until, well, we're it, right? I heard this past week that there was um, some people who like impersonated federal agents in Washington, D.C. and like got away with it for a while. Maybe that works, but trying to impersonate a disciple of Jesus doesn't really work. You can't act and live and do in a real way the things of Jesus until you start with the identity of discipleship. This is what we heard in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. That's the work of the Spirit within us, transforming us, shaping us, changing us so that we are disciples of Jesus who are conformed into his image. Other red letter words. From Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me or follow me, right, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we want to follow Jesus, we need to take up our own cross. It's an instrument of death. We need to, to, to die to the world, die to even ourselves and our desires in order to be raised to new life and walk with Jesus. In the hymn we sang just before the message, let us ever walk with Jesus. Let us also die with him. There it is. In the hymn, to take up our cross, to die with Jesus, to come back and walk in his ways. It's not a physical death that we die. But it's a, a death of our passion, our desire, the things that, of the world that are within us that he's calling us toward. It's transformative so that we can become more and more like him because following Jesus means living like him. To really follow Jesus, we will live like him. That's the remaining targets of the Red Letter Challenge. The other four, there's five. First is being, but the other four put it into action. Those targets are forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And that's what the life of a disciple of Jesus looks like, forgiving as we have been forgiven. Later in our time of worship, we'll share in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And right in the middle of that prayer, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To reinforce that, in Matthew chapter 6, at verse 14, Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's right after he teaches the Lord's Prayer. So it's like Jesus, you know, teaches the prayer and then knows, oh, those guys are going to get stuck on this one, right? We better make sure that we clarify, yes, I mean it. <laughs> I really mean that. And Jesus talked about forgiving, forgiving others. Matthew 18 is, is a great example, and, you know, Peter's like, hey, how many times do I got to forgive somebody? Seven? 
which was more than twice what others were teaching, you know. Elsewhere, it was, well, you forgive somebody three times, and after that, forget them, right? So Peter's like, no, we'll do it seven times. That's a good number. That's a good biblical number right there, Jesus, right? Give me a gold star, right? I got the answer. And Jesus is like, ha-ha, no, you don't. How about 77 times? Which is like infinity, right? Because, I mean, if you keep forgiving someone again and again, before you get to 77, I think you figure out a way to coexist, to live together, to not offend each other, to, you know, to connect, to reconcile. The next target is to serve. We're called to a life of serving our neighbor. When I was a little kid, I remember learning the golden rule, right? You probably did this too. And maybe you've taught it to children. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Sometimes it's said in like a don't do that, right, kind of way. You know, you weren't sharing. Do unto others. You weren't doing this. You just hit him, right? When your kids are little and they just, that's how kids are. And so we, you know, do unto others. But that's still that same thought applies. Do unto others. Live in a, such a way that we're doing for others, what we would want others to do for us. It's a life of service we're called to. When Jesus is asked the question about what's the most important law, he said there's two, right? There's 10 commandments. There's 614 or 13 laws in the Old Testament. There's all these rules and all these things that you're supposed to do or not do and all this stuff. And Jesus said, really? There's two. And here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength right? Be. That's being. And love your neighbor as yourself. At one point, Jesus asked, well, who's my neighbor, right? Because we, we definitely want to carve out the where, where does this apply, you know? What's the range? What's the boundary? Because that guy's over there. He's, he's a little too far out, right? He's not my neighbor over there. That guy that's kind of weird and lives, you know, too far away, Maybe it's not the end of the street, is it? Maybe it's the county line. Those people are not my neighbors anymore, right? They live in Alameda County. Some of you live in Alameda County. Guess what? You're still my neighbors. Oh, maybe it's not the county line. Maybe it's the state line. Oh, those Oregonians. Oh, those folks are from Idaho, Texas. Guess what? They're still your neighbors. Because here's what Jesus answers in in response to that question. That's the good Samaritan parable. Who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you this story. And he goes on to talk about the man who was beaten and left for dead because he was robbed and all that and left on the side of the road. And who passes by? Oh, the priest. He's got things to do, important stuff, right? He's a busy man. Can't bother that guy. And a Levite, oh, called to serve for the community in this religious purpose so he's got stuff to do, and it's important. And if, he, you know, if there's interaction with somebody who's maybe bleeding or whatever, then there's oh, this uncleanliness, and we've got to sort that all out. Pass by on the other side. Who serves the man? The Samaritan. Oh, my gosh, like the, the person that shows up at the family reunion that you kind of are like, really, are we related? I don't know. I, uh... Who would not be considered a neighbor? That's who helps the man. 
And Jesus asked the question, well, who was a neighbor to the guy? Uh, okay, the Samaritan, the one who helped him. Exactly. Serve our neighbor. It's part of the life that we're called to. The third target is to give generously. And in Luke 12, Jesus says these words, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. A few weeks ago, we made the observation that money and giving is the second most um, common topic for Jesus. He talks about the kingdom of God primarily, right? Teaching about the kingdom, what the kingdom is like. And the second most popular thing is finances. Why? Because money's important. And money can captivate our attention. We spend a lot of time trying to earn money, trying to figure out how to manage our money. But we recognize this. What we have is from Jesus. All that we have is from him. So we manage our money and we contribute to the needs that people have. And the ministry depends on financial support of members. It's just how it is. It's how it works. So we give generously, not because we, you know, want to outdo somebody else. A few weeks ago, we remembered the widow with the mites and just the two coins who contributed so generously. It wasn't the big gift. It was the heart. And that's what we're called to, to give from our hearts. Not to give till it hurts, but to give till it feels good. And the final target was to go. Going where he sends us. And in John chapter 20, I don't know if you noticed this, but the references for this section, these four targets, were from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, and from John. These are words of Jesus captured in each of the four Gospels. Jesus said to them in 20, verse 21, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We're sent. It doesn't mean that we have to go to the other side of the world to find a mission field, like our friends Kip and Ivy, who will be here in a couple of weeks, like they have found, like where they're serving. But we're called to go, go into community, go to our neighborhood, go to our next door neighbor, possibly, to go where there's a need for the gospel, to go with the light that shines in and through us into a place maybe of darkness. To not, not to go where, where we aren't going to connect. Not to go where it's going to be overwhelming or a terrible burden for us because we're called to go to places and gifted in order to be there. Make sense? So you can't, you know, just randomly pick a place, you know, open up the yellow pages Oh, I'm going to the pet store, and I'm completely allergic to all animals. Like, that's not where God's calling you, probably. Make sense? That's what I mean. Because God has gifted us and prepared us and sent us then into his mission. Remember how Jesus is on a mission? We're called to join him on that mission. His mission was to go to the cross for us, but now our mission is to go into the world and Bring the effects of that cross to people. Those are the four targets. Gina was in a musical at Milpitas High School this week. 
Last night was supposed to be the final performance. As I mentioned earlier, and um, I'm not sure everybody was in the room at the time, she was in the band for the musical and um, playing the bass. And the keyboard player from the band tested positive for COVID yesterday afternoon. So then there was the, oh, what are we going to do? Last night was supposed to be the final performance, the cast party, the set teardown. All of that was supposed to happen last night. Got canceled. They're hoping that they can maybe reschedule it for some time, you know, in a couple of weeks, possibly. It, wrecked, it really, literally kind of wrecked my illustration, actually. Because here's how, you know, it was supposed to go. So let's pretend for a moment that last night was the final performance, can we? So to get ready for the play, they got the script, they got the musical score, and there were some auditions, right? Who's going to play this part? Who's going to do this role? Who's going to be behind the stage, you know, all dressed in black so the props get to where they need to be on time? Who's going to be in the back of the room, you know, working the sound system? Who's going to be directing the spotlight where it needs to be? There's all kinds of different roles to play for a musical. So they knew who was going to do what, and then there was the start of rehearsals. So the cast got together, and they were working on on lines and delivery and, and the way that they would speak and where they would stand and where they would go. And the band got together and started working through the music and looking in the score for, okay, here's the cue. This is what we hear when we start this song. And they practiced separately, and the set builders got together and built, you know, the things that would be on the stage so that they could go up there and go over there and the thing that would roll out and all the things that would happen. And all that was going on, and they were getting ready and prepared. And, right, and then you hit, if you've ever been in a musical, you know this, tech week. Or really any kind of production. It doesn't have to be a musical. Any kind of play. Like the week before, that's when rehearsal time ramps way up. And your energy level for everything else ramps way down. Because you're so focused, right? This is what we're going to do. And you're excited because, you know, the play is going to happen. And then you get to the performance. And it's out there on the stage, and there's an audience, and the lights, and the music, and the whole thing happens, and there's applause because it's good. And you realize you've done well because people are excited and encouraging. And we saw it Friday night. We saw the play. We went over and, and got to see what turned out to be so far, hopefully, not, but so far the last performance. And it was great. They did such a great job. It was Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. So if you're familiar with the books or the movie, they did a nice job. It was, it was a really good play. And, and um, yeah, we were proud of her. It was so exciting. But how does it go afterward? They don't keep playing those songs as a band. They don't keep speaking those lines as actors who played parts like Percy Jackson. And over the course of time, those lines are forgotten. When I was in college, I was in a musical, Pirates of Penzance, and I played the role of Frederick, if you're familiar with the play. And I don't remember any of it, except kind of the basic plot line. I was a pirate. I don't really remember the things that I said. I don't remember the songs that I sang. I kind of remember what I was supposed to do and a few of the places in and around the stage that I would go, but I don't recall. 
Here's the thing about being a disciple of Jesus. It's not like being in a musical. It's not like being in a play. It's not something that we rehearse and do, and it's done. And then we can kind of forget it and move on. Keep following. We have to keep following. Be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 began with these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we think of a sacrifice, most of the time I think it's a, you know, something that's sacrificed, something that's either given or killed and put on an altar, Right? poured out, if it's like a drink offering, there's all kinds of different sacrifices, and a lot of those in the Old Testament are, you know, things that are brought to the temple and left, and you leave. We're a living sacrifice. That means it's ongoing, it's continual, it's not a one-time thing that we do, and we're done, we can check that box, move on with life. Paul writes about being a living sacrifice. It's a spiritual act of worship. We had a friend uh, a number of years ago, and I remember her saying these words, you've never arrived. Meaning this, as a disciple of Jesus, you're never done. You're never there. Like, you can, you're a disciple of Jesus, and you have a relationship with God by the work of the Spirit. That's, I mean, I'm not saying that you, you don't quite qualify. You just keep working, working, working until you actually become a disciple. That's, nope, that's not it. But as a disciple, you already are in the being way. We're never done. We've never arrived. We can never check all the boxes and go, okay, cool. I can move on with my life now. Come back to the things that I want to do because I've done all those things that God gave me to do. doesn't work that way. We're a living sacrifice. It's ongoing. We continue to do it. We've never arrived. But we're called to use the gifts we've been given. Further in Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That same section talks about people of God as a body. Not to the point that the same way that 1 Corinthians 12 does, but it, it connects with the same thought. That we're a body. We're the body of Christ, and so we have unique gifts, unique abilities that God has given us, so let us use them. So maybe one or two of the targets from the Red Letter Challenge seems more natural. Maybe you're a natural servant more than a giver. That makes sense. I mean, not everybody's going to respond and connect with each one of these in the same way. That doesn't mean we do one and not do the other, but it means we connect more and resonate more, and and that's our kind of sweet spot, and it comes more naturally. So let's use the gifts that we've been given in a way that reflects the grace of God and His creativity, honestly. So none of us is the same, so we don't serve the same, we don't do the same, we don't respond in the same way. Use the gifts you've been given. And if you read down through Romans 12... At all the things that Paul talks about us doing, it sounds a whole lot like these targets that we've been talking about for the last six weeks. There's giving in there, there's going, there's forgiving, there's serving, 
It's the same core message. Be a disciple of Jesus and live it out. And as we do that, we can change the world. Well, that's an awful big task, right? And so maybe we can't change the whole world individually. I don't expect that I'm going to change the people of the planet. There's billions of folks on this, on this planet, but I can change a little part of the world. I can change the lives of people with whom I can connect. I can make sure that the gospel of Jesus is spoken into the life of someone who needs to hear it. I can make sure that someone who has a need of some kind that I can meet, that I take care of that. And I can change the life of someone in need. I can change the life of maybe a neighbor of mine or a friend of mine or someone in my family. And through that, there's a ripple effect, like dominoes. That's how it works. That's how the kingdom of God goes from 12 people 2,000 years ago huddled in an upper room in Jerusalem that we're going to talk about on Thursday night to the Bay Area of California in 2022 and billions of people in between. Because the Spirit of God working in us empowers us to live for Jesus. Let's be living. Living sacrifices for the one who sacrificed everything for us. Amen.